Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to a new episode of Land Grant Holy Land Stick to Sports Podcast. My name is Matt Tamanini on Stick to Sports. We do talk about Ohio State athletics, but more often than not, we avoid the X's and O's of said sports and dive into what is going on around the periphery of the games, as well as whatever is keeping us occupied and entertained in between. As always, I am joined by Land Grant Holy Land West Coast Bureau Chief Jamie Urich. Jamie, welcome to Chaos Saturday. I guess it's Sunday now that we're recording, but there was a lot of stuff happening in college football on Saturday. It was my favorite college Saturday in a long time like yeah and this season has I don't know I feel like in general you have like some weekends where the really dominant teams prove that they're really dominant you have some weekends where there's like a really fun upset but yesterday was just like every single team except the team that we cheer for and that other team I don't know what team you're talking about what what team I don't I don't I I don't say Alabama but we're not gonna I don't want to acknowledge them but like everybody else seemed to just be like hanging on by a thread whether they won or lost the game everyone else had to like really fight it was great that's what's so good about college football and like I I don't really root for a specific NFL team I know your NFL team won on a a last second field goal right didn't the Bears I can't talk about the Bears because they Actually, this is relevant to Ohio State. Yeah, Justin so, Fields is not look so, Field, not, not so great. But it's not that he's not so great. The I issue mean, is that the Bears don't know how to use Justin Fields. And so the play calling that's happening is not working to his strengths. Like, he is not being set up for success on that team. Yeah. I mean, he was like, what, eight, awesome. eight, 8 of 17 or something with a he couple of picks? still have no offensive line. So or how weapons. Are- quarterback supposed to do his job when we don't have an offensive line it is infuriating justin fields you are innocent uh i don't know if i'd say innocent i i might say innocent. culpable but he is okay he's not guilty at least but he is not guilty i mean <laughs> the bears have a lot of issues to fix and i would say justin fields is like the last problem that they okay. need to take care of i will not argue with this uh about this with you whatsoever um uh, <laughs> I imagine, based off how you were talking, that watching the Bears game, despite their last-second field goal victory, was not exactly enjoyable. But the thing that I've taken away from Ohio State this whole season, honestly, all four of the games in varying ways and fashions, have been fun. And I've written about this before, but 
I mean, really for the majority of my adult life and I'm older than you are, but like, I, I mean, even dating back to, I guess even it, it towards the end of the John Cooper era, like watching Ohio state football, no matter how many times they won and they have won a ton in my adult life. My sophomore year of college was Jim Trestle's first year at Ohio state. But if, even if you just start at the line of demarcation with Jim Trestle becoming the head coach of the Buckeyes, the games aren't often fun. And that was true from Trestle to Urban Meyer in a lot of seasons and even into Ryan Day, where whether it was because they were super stressful, there was some sort of thing about the team that allowed other uh, their opponents to hang with them, or it was a methodical, brutal style that wasn't all that enjoyable. Um Watching games weren't always fun. You might have liked the outcome, but the process wasn't always fun. I feel like this year the results have been great and the games have been fun, even in blowout wins like we had on Saturday against Wisconsin or last week against Toledo and Arkansas State and even Notre Dame, despite it being a very different game for these other three, was fun for me. Like I am, I'm enjoying watching this team and I don't know if this is finally because they're starting to put all of the pieces together and they're blowing teams out like they should. But like, I'm enjoying watching these, this team, this season more than I have in a long time. Is that just me? Or are you feeling that in some way or another too, Jimmy? And I know you're not, you weren't a, well, I guess you have, you have ties to Ohio state from before you went to school there. So, so you've probably been watching for a while too. Yeah. So I actually, I'm the first one in my family to go to Ohio state. My, the majority of my, um, like extended family were actually like Notre Dame graduates if they were going to a football school. Um, and my dad played collegiate football, but at a D3 school, he was up at Winona state in Minnesota. Um, but growing up, he was always a huge Ohio state fan as a child, just because he like loved the players. So that was the team that he latched onto from childhood. So my very first memory of watching football with my dad was the national championship game um in that 2002 season which i was there i was at sun devil stadium i have pictures of it on my wall actually i have a picture of it on my wall right next to a sketch that you did for me of orton hall and another one of buckeye donuts so that's very nice that that your artwork is standing or is hanging right next to pictures of me at that game. So that is so lovely. I love to hear that. Yeah. yeah, So I, I was kind of just raised an Ohio state fan in that regard. Um, and even like my brother went to Tennessee, he just graduated this last year, but like, he still always cheers for the Buckeyes because he grew up, he went there ultimately because they had a better major option for what he wanted to do. But I think like his heart will always kind of probably be a little bit with Ohio state and um, my sister didn't, she went to St. Louis university, so they have a good basketball team, but no football program at all. So Ohio state is just kind of where my family's football loyalties have lied. Um, now that said, like Tennessee is good this year. Yeah, so, good. Nothing um, wrong with that. so my brother may jump ship, but <laughs> we'll see. But I think like he still will always cheer for Ohio yeah. state. But, yeah, as long so, as they don't play, as long as they don't play each other, you can root for both. There's nothing wrong with exactly. that. Exactly. But yeah, I would agree. I think, and I think for me, part of it is watching all of the pieces come together. Part of it is that they're having fun on the field. Totally. Um, part of it is that we're getting to see a lot of playing time from true freshmen who are going in, whether it's because of injuries or because we're, you know, they're kind of on cleanup duty at the end of a big blowout. But 
we're getting to see what some of those really stellar recruits are capable of early on, which is fun. Um, And I think the other part of it is like these other teams that are in the top five are kind of showing their weak spots and Ohio state isn't really like Notre Dame was a tough game and it was a little stressful, but that was fun to watch even just for the history of it. And they looked good. Like we were, you know, anxious to see what the defense was going to do all of this stuff. And, and they looked good. And um, so like that, but then it's just been consistently like they've been on the uptick since then and they get better and better each week. Whereas like these other teams came out, like Georgia scared the life out of me as of last week. And then this week it was like, Oh, they're maybe not that scary. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, I don't, I certainly don't want to get ahead of myself, but I, I think that like, we're fans in, and bloggers. We can get ahead of ourselves. It's okay. In the season that OSU won that first championship, that first national championship. 2014. Yeah. In so in that first the first year of the playoffs, they snuck into that bracket and a lot of people felt like they had no business being there. But at that point in time, they were absolutely playing the best football in the country. That's not to say they were the best team throughout the whole season, but by the time the national championship rolled around, they were playing the best football in the country. And I think that, you know, a lot can change as the rest of the season goes on. They do still have have to play Michigan, which I think losing to Michigan last year is going to work in our favor because they're mm-hmm. hungry and our defense is better this year. Um, but I think like right now they probably are playing the best football in the country. Well, and, and and I think it's a it's a really good distinction that you make about that 2014 team because with all due respect to Joe Thomas Barrett the fourth, they were not a team that would have contended for a national championship had he still been the quarterback. And all of the records and everything that he did as Ohio State's quarterback, I I mean, he is he's had the greatest career of an Ohio State quarterback ever, mainly because he played essentially for four full seasons with injuries and splitting time with Cardio Jones notwithstanding. So you can't undersell how important JT Barrett was to Ohio State. But what made the difference in that postseason, and even starting with you know the second half of the rivalry game when, when Cardale came in, was they were fun. Like, just the style of play changed with Cardale. And I feel like the Ohio State offense has been mostly fun under Ryan Day. There's been times when he's gotten a little boring in the last four years and safe because he's been scared of things, mainly because I think he's been trying to protect the defense. But the the offense this year is kind of like letting things loose. We're using the running backs more. We're seeing more play with the tight ends. That means that there are more options. There's more fun things that can happen. There's more big plays because the defense is spread out so much. So you're having more opportunities for running backs to, to break big runs or Cade Stover coming in and making catches. But then when you flip that over, like the defense is aggressive this year, which is something I don't think we've seen save for the one Jeff Halfley year in 2019 in quite a while. So like, I just feel like the style of play, much like you're talking about with that 2014 team, when it switched from JT to Cardale, like the style of play is fun too. So you take all that stuff you talked about with like, the guys are having fun and they're winning and everybody else is like struggling a little bit more. You throw in the fact that like on both sides of the ball, they're playing an interesting brand of football to watch. Uh, and it's just like, it's, it's, it's a great amalgamation of like 
funness. And I don't know how any way to describe it other than it being fun. It's just like I've enjoyed watching these games a lot more than JT left, JT right, JT up the middle. Even if we always knew they were going to win, just because like it was an enjoyable video game type of football. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's just they've been really fun to watch. And I also think because they have been so dominant, like, I mean, I I will say I didn't think the score yesterday was going to I thought it would be a little bit closer than it was. Um, I did think OSU was going to win, but I didn't think it was going to be quite as much of a blowout as it was Um, because they're winning so dominantly. Like they also have room to just kind of play and like try new things on the field that are fun to see. It's fun. I don't know. I, yeah, I'm having a lot of fun watching them this year. Yeah. And that's not to say that they're, there's not things that they can get better at. Obviously, there's still room for improvement. Obviously, both of their starting cornerbacks didn't play on Saturday. Jackson Smith and Jigba didn't play. So, like, getting the best wide receiver in the country back is going to make a big deal. And they still didn't play perfect by any means. Uh, I would say probably, I mean, maybe Notre Dame. But, like, I would say even that was probably C.J. Stroud's least crisp game. I'm not going to say worst because he still threw for five touchdowns. But, like, it was his least crisp game of the season. Um, So there's lots of room to improve. So I think that's another thing that adds to the excitement is, like, oh, my God, they are kicking the living shit out of teams. And they're still not anywhere close to their ceiling. And that's fun as well. But another thing that was fun in a couple different ways, and your mileage will vary on this, was the fact that, the Buckeyes went with alternate uniforms on Saturday night against Wisconsin. It was part of a, and they, they officially would not call it a blackout game because blackout has negative connotations when it comes to overindulgence of alcohol. So they were calling it a wear black game, whatever it was a blackout game. Um, there are two parts of this. And one of them, I think everybody can agree was really cool. The other one is very controversial in a way that I could not care less about, but When it comes to the jerseys, a lot of people have a lot of strong feelings about what makes a good Ohio State jersey, what doesn't make a good Ohio State jersey. I am not one of those people. As long as they, like, don't change the colors to, like, the old colors, like orange and black, and as long as the Buckeye leaves stay on, like, I'm fine. Um, Other than that, I don't really care. But I know you you really liked those black jerseys that they wore on Saturday night. I loved the black jerseys that they wore on Saturday night. I think they looked so snazzy for a night game. Um, Yeah, I... I really liked them. And I thought like, especially when you looked at the, their jerseys matched with the cheerleaders, black uniforms, Rome was looking really stylish, big fan. Um, I actually texted my family to be like, these jerseys look really snazzy. And then my dad texted back, these Buckeyes look really snazzy, meaning like their play (laughs) on the field. Yeah. yeah. Um, Yeah. I loved them. Big fan. Do you have a preference on any of the other, alternate jerseys that they've had in the past like they had for a few years that they like did different ones every year where they're like this is a tribute to the 1942 team or the 1968 team and then they also did like an all white they did an all gray uh i feel like they did an all red that would look ugly but i feel like they did at some point like i said i don't care was there any other ones that that have stuck out to you as something that you've really enjoyed in the past so in general i really like the kind of monochromatic look so i think 2020 was when they did the all white um and i really liked the all white i really like the all black i know at one point they had kind of a throwback one that was like the red jerseys with the gray pants pants. and the red jerseys had those gray stripes and the pants had like the red knee pads on them 
that was a no from me. <laughs> um, I generally like the throwback jerseys. Like I think there's something cool about the vintage look of it, but um, yeah, the all black uniforms were it for me. <laughs> and I also really liked the white ones in 2020. Yeah. I, like I said, that doesn't, it's fine. I'm not, I'm not against them. I'm not for them. But the thing that I thought was really cool about Saturday night was the actual stadium blackout of it. Like, it's so weird because we're so used to seeing so much red when you look at that stadium. And especially mm-hmm. even when they go to like other stadiums, we're used to seeing so much red. So to see it at night effectively just look like night was encompassing the entire horseshoe because everybody was wearing black was really, really cool and looked different and kind of gave you a different vibe. I mean, we're at the beginning of spooky season and it's almost like it had a little bit of a horror vibe to it because one Ohio state essentially murdered Wisconsin, but two, like it just felt darker and a little bit like ominous when the fact that everybody around the stadium was wearing black and and that just kind of it felt like night was seeping in and surrounding the field. So uh, I'm all for doing blackouts. And if you're going to do those things, uh, you know, every year, I'm good with sticking with the all blacks. If that means during some sort of night game, we can get everyone in the stadium wearing black as well. Yeah, I do have to say this is like kind of related to the the coordination that it takes to like get everyone to wear black or when they do the whiteout games or the pink out games. Um, the checker board at Tennessee's games mm-hmm. the way that they like coordinate who's going to wear orange and who's going to wear white like that's crazy do you have since your brother went there do you have any insight how to do that I just assume they like put pennies over the chairs like in those sections Is, do they actually have people wear that ahead of time I've never I've never asked my brother I'll have to check with him but like it looks so cool when it comes, you know, like when you can like see those aerial views of the stadium, it looks oh, yeah. really cool. Yeah. I mean, I saw it in the the Tennessee, Florida game from this past weekend and it does look very cool. I thought the exact same thing, but so yeah, my understand, my basic understanding, and I could be wrong. I'm sure my brother will correct me if I am, is that you actually, the fans actually go in, there's a website that you go in and you put your section row and your seat number, and then it tells you whether you need to be an orange oh, or cool. white. So they are coordinating it in that like someone um, like, yeah, like, like they're being like, they're not giving them the shirts or like putting them on the chairs. It's like someone who's a web developer in Knoxville, I believe, like built this, they like kind of laid it out in Photoshop or whatever, and then figured out which seats would go where and built like a, they web developed a website so that people could put their seat numbers in and it's like just a really carefully coordinated effort, which I think is really cool. Yeah. I love that. That's very cool. It's kind of like, I'm assuming Blanco still does this, but they don't show it on TV very often. And since I'm working the games, I don't go to games very often uh, anymore. And since I live in Florida, but like with the, the card tricks, do they still do the card tricks with Blanco uh, or the stunts? Yeah. Where it's all laid out ahead of time and all that stuff. And it's a little different because, like you said, this is all being just being done online and you go check. But, like, it's definitely a huge undertaking to make sure that all of those things are organized. And the thing that I always like, so if you've never sat in the in actual Blocko itself, because, like, the Blocko South doesn't coordinate in quite the same way that, that true Blocko does. But, like, if you have tickets in Blocko, I don't know if they still do this when I was in college. You had to go to, like, practices. Oh, yeah. 
in order to get those student tickets. Like you had to go and learn how to do the card tricks. Like that was not, not just anyone could sit there. Like, So wait, are there more than one block O now? Because when I was in school, it was just in the South Stands. So it was like the South Stands. And then there was like the opposite side of the stadium had the cards. Oh, really? The closed end had the cards. Okay, because when I was in school, Blocko was all in the South Stands. And I was there. Actually, they built the permanent South Stands while I was in school. So in my freshman year, it was the removable bleachers, I think, that was still there in my yeah. freshman year. And they built the permanent South Stands, my, in my, I think, my sophomore and junior year. Um, but all of, all of Blocko was always in the South Stands. So I didn't realize they were in multiple places now. Yeah, I oh, and that I mean that's it, it may not be that case anymore, but that was certainly how it was when I was um, there. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to take a real quick break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about the broadcast of the game, broadcasting of games in general, and we'll wrap up the show with some recommendations. Welcome back. And Saturday, in addition to all of the stuff that happened on the field, in the game, with the jerseys, all of that stuff, Saturday also marked something that could be a fairly historic moment in how we consume college football. Because as of now, we don't know if ABC slash ESPN will be back at Ohio Stadium with their main crew of Chris Fowler, Kirk Herbstreet, and Holly Rowe ever again. Um, As we've talked about before, The Big Ten signed a new media rights deal that will move its secondary rights away from ESPN slash ABC to CBS and NBC starting next season. The top round of rights will continue to be with Fox. And you and I have talked about this before, Jamie, and we can get into it a little bit here, how it pertains to this. But both Kirk Herbstreet and with the prompting of Chris Fowler uh, and Holly Rowe have, have kind of made some statements about this and how about how they're sad that this might be the last time that they get to do a game there. Kirk Street obviously has long and deep connections to Ohio State, which we can talk about uh, in a separate conversation. But I, I'm I'm not worried about like Ohio State not being on ESPN because of like, oh, it could hurt them with the college football playoff. Ohio State's going to be fine when it comes to the college football playoff, especially when it expands to 12. They're going to be in literally every year. But there are things that I think we'll miss from having Ohio State games broadcast on ESPN and ABC. One, they're just the best at broadcasting games, like from a visual uh, standpoint, from the truck, from the direction to the commentators. And I'm somebody who generally hates most uh, TV announcers, but like they're just better than everybody else at doing this. And they should be as they are the worldwide leader in sports. Yes, I fully agree. Um, I, I actually... I know that people who are not Ohio State fans like feel the exact opposite and many Ohio State fans feel the exact opposite as well. But I think Park Herb Street is the best there is where football announcing is concerned. Um, And yeah, like you said, the video quality, the packages that they put together, um, even just like college game day on a Saturday morning. (laughs) uh, They just are, their coverage is better. And um, I have some thoughts about the media rights deal from that perspective, because I think that we're going to get subpar coverage um, moving forward. And I 
do think that it gives us the upper hand with Notre Dame, but we just simply aren't playing our cards properly. So yeah, we, we've that's talked a whole about other soapbox. Yeah. Yeah. We've talked about that. I think you've even written about it um, at one point earlier this season. Um, I think we'll be fine. I mean, Fox is Fox. That's going to stay what it is. I think we'll be fine on the CBS games because it's essentially just going to be the CBS or the SEC on on CBS broadcast turned to the Big Ten, which is fine. It's a fine broadcast. I Gary Danielson is absolutely horrific, and I hope he retires and we don't have to deal with him. But in terms of the whole package, it's fine. I'm concerned about NBC because if you watch a, a Notre Dame game on NBC, it's bad. Like. Jack Collinsworth, Chris Collinsworth's son. I mean, it's just bad. I don't, I'm sure they'll get other people to do the big 10 games, but like, it's not a good product. Um, I don't have as much of a problem with games being on Peacock as other people do. Uh, granted, I, for a living cover streaming services. So I literally have every streaming service imaginable. So like, I, it's different for me, I guess, but I, I, I think this, the NBC games are going to be bad and I'm going to miss ESPN from that perspective. Um, but I, 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 I'm a little, I, I don't know. I, 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 I'm not set. I get my homie say it this way. I'm not like emotional about leaving ESPN and ABC, but like, I think we're going to notice a difference in the quality outside of Fox and CBS next year. And I don't think people are really thinking about that because they don't spend a whole lot of time watching games on NBC because all they do is they have what, like six to eight Notre Dame games a year. And that's all that people have had the opportunity to see. And a lot of folks skip those because they don't care about Notre Dame. And I think they're going to be in for a bit of a surprise when they have to tune into those games on NBC and or Peacock or even USA or whatever other channels they put them on next year. Right. No, I agree completely. Um, Yeah. I don't, I don't love it. (laughs) The the one thing is um, Holly Rowe, who is I think unequivocally the best in-game reporter that there is uh, doing college football and, and many other sports for that matter. Um, she put a video out after the game on Saturday night talking about how she, I mean, she, she was emotional. She started getting choked up on the field from the horseshoe talking about how everybody has treated her there over the years and how sad she is to be leaving uh, and doesn't know whether or not that she will be ever able to do a game there. Obviously there's a possibility that ESPN could get the rights back or she could potentially leave ESPN. Although I don't see that happening. Um, but she's the best. Like, d- say whatever you want about Chris Fowler and or Kirk Herbstreet, but I don't know anybody who doesn't love Holly Rowe as a sideline reporter, as um, somebody providing additional information. Like, she is the best in the business as far as I'm concerned. And I will be sad to lose her during Ohio State games because I always feel like I learn something new when she's on the sideline versus almost literally anybody else. Yeah, I also like her video was just so sweet and so heartfelt. Like you can see how much love she has for the Big Ten and for the horseshoe and mm-hmm. for the experiences she's had there. And like, um, I I do just I think that no one is no one is calling from the sidelines the way that she is. Um, so yeah, I I'm definitely sad to to see her go as part of that. Yeah. <laughs> right, still, um. Yeah, but her video was so sweet. So if you haven't had a chance to see it, I actually hadn't seen it. Matt sent it over to me and um, it was really sweet. Go check it out on her Twitter account. Yeah, I'll put a link in the show notes there. The other thing that I want to mention here just on the broadcast was uh, during the game, it was such a blowout that Kirk Herbstreet's son, who is a walk-on tight end, 
got into the game for the last play of the game, I think. Uh, it, might, it might actually been technically the last two because I think one of them was the kneel down. But he got in for the game, and, like, that's a big deal. Like, uh, Kirk was broadcasting his son, and I think he did broadcast some Clemson games because his older twins uh, are walk-ons at Clemson. I don't know if they actually played in the games that he broadcast. But it's even more important, I think, to them as a family because, as they chronicled on the broadcast, Kirk's dad was a captain at Ohio State, Kirk was a captain at Ohio State, and now his son is a player at Ohio State. And to be able to call that moment, and he got into it. You could tell how excited he was. And like you said, people both in and outside of Buckeye Nation have lots of thoughts about Kirk Herbstreet. But whatever you think of him, like if you don't watch, if you didn't see that video, and uh, I'll send it to you, Jim, because I know you were out at a sports bar watching the second half. Um, like that was just sweet. That was touching. That's the sentimental stuff that always gets me choked up. And I, as I think I've talked about and written about over the years, like I used to work for Kirk Herbstreet. Like I don't know him well. It's been 20 years almost since I worked for him as an intern on his radio show at 1460. But like he bleeds scarlet and gray. And no matter what you think about him as a, as an announcer and how he approaches Ohio State now, I can tell you at least 20 years ago when I was around him, you know, on a fairly daily basis for six months, like he he does his best to be objective when he's calling games, but he is a homer through and through. So I know that that was a big moment for him and his family to be able to call that game with his son, uh, getting his first action as a college football player. Yeah, that's so sweet. And also like, uh, yeah, I just, um, he is someone too who is like, he has such affection for his kids and he's like very open about that. And so it was, it was really, it was a sweet moment. All right. Well, let's wrap up the show, Jamie, as we'd like to do with some recommendations because it's college football season. I have not been watching a ton of things outside of sports. Um, although I have been watching a lot of uh, Hallmark movies. That's what I put on in the background when I'm working at night. Um, I have, Watched a few other things. She-Hulk, which I'm a little mixed on. I watched the first two episodes of The Patient on Hulu, which I'll get back to. And it's fine. It was good. I like, you know, Steve Carell and uh, Domin Hall Gleason. So it's good. Um, But nothing that's been bowling me over. But I think you and I are going to share a recommendation this week because it is a show that we love deeply and it has returned in the last couple of weeks. You have a lot more hot takes on this than I do. So I'm going to turn it over to you to talk about our recommendation for this week. Yeah, so our recommendation for this week is uh, the new season of Great British Bake Off. Um, It is streaming on Netflix, and the first two episodes have dropped. They'll be dropping new ones every Friday for those of us in the States um, moving forward until the season is over. Uh, I love this batch of contestants. I do not necessarily love the judges or the hosts. (laughs) We can get into that. Go ahead. And my absolute biggest pet peeve is the technical challenges that they have thrown at people where they are just like adding things to the recipes that are not there. Like, for example, this week was biscuit week and the biscuit they were baking during the technical challenge is not supposed to be dipped in chocolate normally, but they decided to add dipping it in chocolate so that they could test whether the contestants knew how to feather chocolate and then didn't provide appropriate instructions. So like you're asking them to cook the thing in a way that is not how it's normally baked. So even if they know what they're baking and have the technical skills, like now you're adding something, but you're not telling them what you really want in a very clear way, drives me nuts. Um, With that said, this batch of contestants is so delightful. 
Um, they all just like kind of make me smile in a way that it's like been a hot minute since I really felt like all of them were super adorable. Yeah. I mean, I never smile. I have no heart, but, um, (laughs) since I like really loved all of the contestants, like week two and I'm sad to see people go. So, um, who, who's your favorite contestant of all time? Of all time? Yeah. Oh, that's hard. I know. That's that's a terrible question. <laughs> I don't think. I mean, Na- Nancy. I think. But then, like Lottie and Laura. Lot, Lottie's my Lottie's my favorite. I like love Lottie. I love Chetna. I love Bryony. Yeah, I love love Bryony. Follow her on Instagram. I loved. Uh, I love Christelle and and Ruby as well from recent seasons. Yeah, Kim Joy, I really love. Kim Joy's great. Uh, Chigs is great. Chigs uh, is great. Yeah, lots Yan. of good ones. Yeah, yeah. Who was the one who? Um, Peter, sweet little Peter. Peter is good. Giuseppe is great. Um, who was the one from a couple seasons ago? Um, who? was like a goth and I swear that her and Noel were going to run away together because all she did was like make vampire stuff. Oh, Oh, um, Oh, what's her name? What's her name? Um, I can hear you typing. So I'll let you do it. I, I know I'm looking it up. Uh, Helena, 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 yeah, Helena, I think is what it was. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, she was, she was fun. I think she was crazy because I think Noel is also very awkward and uncomfortable. And I, 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 I do not find him enjoyable. My very good friend, Jennifer McHugh, um, who I've done podcasts with about TV f- for seven or eight years now. She loves Noel. Like she's loved Noel from before he was on GBBO. Uh, he makes me uncomfortable. I wish, and we talked about this beforehand, like, can we get any of the three women hosts back? Like Mel and Sue were oh, so perfect. Sandy, Sandy was great. Um, you don't like Matt Lucas. I like him just I because like he makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. I mean, I like him just I because like everything sexual. See, that's what Noel does. That, I, well, first People, off, I, first of off, yeah. First off, Mel and Sue did as well. Like there was always the air of, of that going on with them, but I think it plays a little different when it's women first off and they were better at it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you also, know? I will say that whoever is writing the cold opens. Oh, they're too much. For like the last three seasons, jail. You belong in jail. Yeah, it's too much. It's just too um, much. In sidebar, in Googling Helena, do you know the story of how she started baking? I do not. So she, her grandmother was like a baker, but she didn't really bake. And then she moved to Las Vegas as part of an exchange. Oh. like. It was like a student exchange program in school and like lived with a Mormon family in Las Vegas. And that's how she started baking. She lived lived with a Mormon family in Las Vegas? Yes. Okay. My sister lives in Las Vegas and I I can't. I mean, okay. This is according to the Great British Bake Off like biography on their official website. Okay. So maybe that's why she's... She's a little strange. That's Character. fine. Nothing wrong. Um, you do know, I assume, that the Great American Baking Show is coming back next year, right? I do know that. And you, do you remember who the hosts are? No, I don't. 
the host for the Great American Baking Show, which has had multiple seasons that ran in the U.S. before. But this new one is going to run on the Roku channel, which is a streaming platform. It is free, but it will have ads. Um, but the hosts are going to be Ellie Kemper and Zach Cherry. So I, everybody loves Ellie Kemper. I think Zach Cherry is phenomenal. If you don't know who he is, chances are if you look him up, you you recognize him, but he was one of the stars of severance on Apple TV plus he was great. I thought he should have been nominated for an Emmy. Um, he's also been in multiple like little small roles in, uh, MCU movies, most recently Shang-Chi and the legend of the 10 rings. He's great. So I think him and Ellie Kemper together are going to be really, really fun. The judges will continue to be Paul Hollywood and, and Prue, um, uh, Prue Leith, but I, yeah, they've already filmed it. They filmed it in London, or not in London, in the UK, in the same tent as this season of the Bake Off. So uh, it'll be coming sometime in 2023. Uh, that is very exciting. That is very, very exciting. All right, that is all that we have for today. Thank you for listening to this episode of Land Grant Holy Land Sticker Sports Podcast. If you are finding this episode on our website, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your daily dose of podcasting goodness. We are bringing you throughout the entire college football season almost two episodes every single day, at least one episode every single day. Uh, Jamie is coming to you fairly regularly in the Play Like a Girl podcast. I will be popping up with shows throughout the week. Uh, we are bringing you different insights, conversations, and, and news that you will not find anywhere else in the Buckeye Podcasting Universe, along with different voices and perspectives that you can only hear here. Also, don't forget to follow Land Grant Holy Land on Twitter at Land Grant 33. You can find me on Twitter at BWW Matt. Jamie, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at, at Jamie Urge. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. We will talk to you soon. And as always, go Bucks. Go Bucks.